Hello and welcome to the All Terrain Podcast, brought to you by the Youth and Children's Ministry Unit of the Salvation Army in the United Kingdom and Ireland Territory. My name is Matt White and in each episode I'll be inviting a guest to take a hypothetical hike with me as we find out about their real life journey to this point. Along the way, they'll make four choices and answer four questions. In this episode, our guest is Dr. Nar Mfundisi Holloway. Nar works for the Salvation Army Research and Development Unit as an action researcher. She was born and raised in Zambia and is a third generation Salvationist. She is the author of an academic book entitled Pentecostal and Charismatic Spiritualities and Civic Engagement in Zambia. This is a brilliant episode. So enough from me. Let's get straight into it. Hello, Nar. Welcome to the podcast. Hey Matt, how you doing? <laughs> I'm very well, thank you. Now we're recording in February and this episode's going out in February. Sometimes that happens, sometimes it doesn't. But uh, that's very exciting because just before we came on, I found out two very exciting things about you right now. One is that you've just had a milestone birthday. I'm not going to say it yep. because I know better. I'll get in trouble. <laughs> but you've had a milestone birthday. And also you're expecting a baby. Absolutely. In May, a little baby boy. So my first one's a girl. Wow. So let's see what this boy is going to bring along. <laughs> wow. Well, that, it's very, very exciting. Now, I've, I've said a little bit about what you do, but what does your role entail? What is it that you do in your role for the Salvation Army? Okay, so I work as an action researcher for the Research and Development Unit uh, at THQ. And uh, if I could just say a little bit about it, it's basically research that is done for the purpose of taking action. So um, it's it's not, it's different to the conventional way of doing research mm. uh, in that, you know, you don't do the research, you know, to people, you do it with people. Mm. And, you know, with this type of research, you're not the professional that comes in with all the answers. It's basically working in collaboration with people that already do the work. They know they work better than you do. So you're just bringing in your research uh, skills to just sort of enhance um, mm. what they're uh, trying to get at to help them ask the correct questions. And yeah, so it's a collaborative effort. So it's not always that I do that kind of work with the army because sometimes the research is reactive as opposed mm. to proactive. So we mm. get, it's what you get. Mm. <laughs> and then I've got a theology background. So it means that most of the work that comes to my table and, um, you know, uh, involves theological re reflection and things of that nature. So yeah, that's a little bit about it. <laughs> Wow, that sounds amazing. And and you said you said in your life outside of work then, so you've already got a little girl. So tell us about what does life look like outside of work, family, hobbies, what else do you do? Okay, so if I could just give you a brief, uh, uh, maybe introduction of who Nar is, <laughs> and then it will then, you know, I'll get into, you know, my family mm. and things like that. So yeah, so Nar is my name. As you said, uh, I'm a native of Zambia. So I was born and raised in Zambia, that's Southern Africa. I have dual heritage actually. So I'm half Zambian and half Zimbabwean, but my father moved to Zambia. Um, yeah, and married a Zambian lady and basically settled there. But then, yeah, so I'm a third generation uh, salvationist, uh, youngest of five. I speak six languages. <laughs> We're not going to get into that. <laughs> Are you sure? Because I might. I might want to, but all right, we don't have time. No, it's fine. You're right. Carry on. <laughs> yes. And yeah, married uh, to Andrew. Uh, he's English and I have a two-year-old. I have lived on three continents, believe it or not. I've lived in Africa. I've lived in North America and I now live here. And uh, I came to England actually to do uh, a master's program because I studied theology. So, and then um, because I had nothing better to do, I moved on to do <laughs> a PhD in theology at the University of Birmingham. And so I focused on Pentecostal and charismatic Christianity and uh, their civic engagement in Zambia. And during that time, I worked also as a qualified secondary school teacher working in inner city schools in Birmingham. And that was great. I did that for about nine years. And uh, yeah, so it's when I left teaching that I moved into R&D because, you know, with teaching, I was averaging about 70 hours a week and not investing a lot of time into research. And so I had to just make that transition as hard as it was. I needed to, you know, make use of that 50 grand, which I spent on my PhD. Because <laughs> I was an international student, so I had to pay more than what yes, everybody else was paying. Yeah. So 
that's a lot. I did detect a North American twang there in the accent. So how long did you live in North America for? Because I can hear a little bit of it. <laughs> I went there in my, you know, teens and right. moved to, to England in my late 20s. Okay, so, so that's why it's Not there. to expose how old I am. No, that that's fine. Would, no, none yeah, of us will. Just... No, no. Even though I know the information, I'm keeping it. It's between us. Now, uh, two things we've got to do before we get started on the questions is make our two choices. So first yeah. of all, and I'm fascinated in this one because you've lived on three continents. Where are we yeah. walking for our hypothetical hike? Okay, so we are walking um, in Zambia in a game park. So yeah, we, you know, I don't know what your imaginations, you know, giving you right now, but you know, in a game park, there are scary animals, <laughs> an authentic game park, mm. you know, tall grass, trees, and things like that. So that's wow. where, and and you know, as you said, you know, I've lived in many places, and you know, I was conflicted. I'm like, mm. where? you know, um, am I going to take anybody? But, you know, Zambia is home. It'll always be my home. So yeah, I think it'll be interesting that, to walk in a Zambian game park. <laughs> that was my next question, because as someone who doesn't live where he was born or raised, and, and my, yeah. my, you know, my distance is not as far, but is home, is home, is the kind of the call of home, the draw of home, is that Zambia? It is mm. all the time, mm. all the time. There is just something about being in a place that you were born and raised. Yeah. There is something yeah. about touching down. You know, when yeah. I go to Zambia, um, as soon as that plane touches down, there's just this connection. Yeah. I don't know how I can explain it, but there's this connection, this draw to the land, yeah. to the soil. Yeah. I can smell it. <laughs> I, I explained to someone the other night, the moment I step off, and like I say, it's a 40 minute flight for me to go home. But the moment I step off that plane, I am home. Like there is, and, and I haven't lived there for 20 years, but it's like- Yeah, I hear you. Right? It's like, there's something about that place that just draws you. And then again, with kids, you know, my, my, my son is almost eight and my daughter is two and a half. For me, getting them there is so important to me. Like getting them Absolutely. to that place, it really matters. I, I, I hear that. Yeah, and I, I look forward to taking my daughter uh, mm. there because she was born three weeks before the first lockdown. Oh, wow. So, and she's two now. So it means, you know, all she's known is masks and, yeah. you know, uh, looking at people strangely yeah. and stuff. So, but I, I would like, uh, I look forward to a time where I can take her back home and say, yeah. this is where mommy comes mm -hmm. from. This is her roots. Mm -hmm. This is, you know, this was her genesis mm -hmm. and this is the soil with which she played. And, you know, so this is mommy. <laughs> so important. Oh, I could talk to you about that all day, but I've got to keep going. So who's coming with us? We've got one living, right. one dead, one fictional. Who's on the walk? I thought, man, when I saw this question, I thought, I might have to tweak a few things here uh, to okay. suit me, you know? So I'm like, right. Since, <laughs> At least you're honest. You know, since, you know, I want to go on this, you know, uh, on this, you know, walk and yep. I'm going to get people that I like, and okay. I may have to bend the rules a little bit, All right. you know? So I hope that's okay with you, Matt. Yep. So living people <laughs> will be two people. Okay. I'm going to take Michelle Obama because yeah. God knows I love that woman. Yeah. She inspires me a lot. Always. Yeah. <laughs> she's, she's my best friend in my head. <laughs> 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 you know, I have conversations with her in my head, yeah. so she's definitely coming Drink. along, you know, and I'm bringing two people who are living, I'm sorry, because the other one is my favorite gospel artist and it's Fred Hammond. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I'm a musician. I love music. I love this man's music. It has taken me to places in my faith. And I I'm afraid I, he has to come along. Yeah. Okay, so Michelle Obama and Fred Hammond. Great start. And, then, <laughs> and then dead person, I'm going to bring two as well. Okay. See, I'm a sociable person. I love people. <laughs> I like to hang out. So I'm just breaking all your all rules, right. Matt. So future, I hope that's future okay. Future guests, this is not a new set of rules, by the way. This is a one-off. <laughs> Come on, let's have your two dead people. Two dead people. Nelson Mandela, oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, I have lots of questions for him regarding, you know, his, you know, uh, just his life, his mm. mindset, what it was like during mm. the apartheid era in South Africa. I mean, I was a kid in Zambia when all that was going yeah, on and just watching TV and listening to my mother and narrating some of these stories yeah. of what was going on. That was so interesting to me. Yeah. So yeah, I would have, I would love to get into his oh, brain yes, and please. just think, 
yeah. you know, get, get some gems of him. Mm. And uh, another dead person would be my mom. My mom passed away when I was 21 years old. She was an amazing, funny woman, so funny. And yeah, God knows we need a bit of some jokes on this journey, you know, cause you know, when you're dealing with, you know, um, scary animals, mm. you need someone to bring the jokes. So my mom, <laughs> My mom would do a great job. You are right. We do need someone to bring that. I think anyone who listens to this podcast will be like, thank goodness, we're sick of his jokes. So thank goodness there'll be someone bringing some good jokes. I'm pleased. Absolutely. Fictional. Mm. Well, this was a struggle for me. But then I thought, okay, is it okay to bring in someone from uh, a superhero? Yeah. Uh, Would that be okay? So I love Iron Man for many reasons. Okay. So I would... (laughs) I'd like to bring Iron Man on yep. this, you know, walk. However, I then realized he would be a distraction to me more than anything. And I'm on this trip with serious people and I can't have no. Iron Man no. <laughs> on there. So I would substitute him. I know he doesn't quite fit, okay. but I, I might have to get Bear grills because I'm not, I hope it's a fair substitute. I know he's not really fictional, but, you know, I hope you'd allow me to just substitute him. So, I, mean, I quite, I quite like the idea of Bear Grylls as a fictional character that actually is just a bloke <laughs> who's scared of everything, but he plays this. I mean, we've, we've never had Bear on the podcast, but we might have to now because now we've <laughs> essentially, you know, insinuated quite heavily that really it's just a guy who's a fictional character. He may have to come on, but I like that. I do like the idea that Bear Grylls is really just a very timid man who plays this Bear Grylls character. If we're going to be dealing with... <laughs> scary animals He's the and one. being in the jungle we need someone to help He's us to survive and i think bear grills has proven to me over and over again that he can do this and he's a christian yeah. and then also uh my mother despised mr bean oh okay but then she there was this love hate relationship between okay. my mom and mr bean he was a funny one because yeah. she'd be like oh this silly silly man yeah. but she would sit there and watch <laughs> watch every program so i'm sorry i may have to bring on mr bean that's another joker that we need on this trip you know what if anything it's good to have someone who makes me not the clumsiest (laughs) amazing so every guest here on the ultra podcast answers the same four questions so here's the first one for you now how do we face change so one thing i've come to learn is that life is constantly changing Mm. and you know um it's how we embrace it Mm. uh personally um, I think I embrace as a person of faith, you know, and it is important that when change happens, I am in prayer and I have this understanding that God is in control mm. through whatever change that's going on, whether it's a positive change or a not so positive change. Um, having lived on three continents and, you know, being an immigrant most of the time, you know, I've had to learn to adapt, you know, I've had to adapt to changes in life and all the time, um, adapting to changes in culture and adapting to changes in laws and legislations surrounding immigration, you know, and, and then now I'm in a season of change, mm. you know, uh, as a as a mom, you know, going through being a wife mm. and changing careers. Mm. So it just feels like life is just this whole cycle of change. Mm. And I think um, I wonder, you know, how natives adapt to change in comparison to immigrants. Mm. <laughs> because it's a totally different ball game there. Um, But then it's, I have just, by the grace of God, and I do not attribute anything to myself, to my own strength, because it can be tiring. It can be discouraging. It can be lonely. Sometimes some of the changes that you face, but trying to make the best of every situation helps me to face change Mm -hmm. even when I'm in it and as I said you know change can be painful Mm -hmm. and um I think as a person of faith I have just learned to lean on God through everything Mm -hmm. to depend on God through everything um you know both my parents are deceased and my family scattered across the globe Mm -hmm. 
And, you know, there are, yeah, some changes that you think, oh, wow, wouldn't it have been easier if, you know, my mom was near or, you know, my dad was here to give me some advice. But um, you just learn to, to adapt to whatever change, leaning on God's strength and God's direction and trusting that, you know, God will order you, my steps in some way so that I'm able to adapt and live with this change. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's a one word answer to a singular answer mm-hmm. to this. It's just, I think finding ways to adapt makes things a lot easier. <laughs> yeah, no, I no, I hear that. I think that's really, I think that's really helpful in terms of, of your experience. And also, like you say, the, the experience of being an immigrant in those different places as well. The, the thing that sort of caught my ear and then you sort of kept coming back to was this sense of God being in control and, mm. and leaning on God's strength and God ordering your steps. I wonder if you could maybe just unpack a little for me what that what that looks like, because I guess you and I could say a phrase like uh, God is in control and both mean completely mm. different things. And I guess mm. I wonder for you, what does that mean in terms of how that helps you move through a change? Sure. So I will give you a random example. Like, you know, it, it's it's amazing how, you know, uh, I lately I've been reflecting a lot on, you know, being an immigrant mm. and, and some of the challenges that come with that. And when I talk about leaning on God's strength and that knowing that God is in control somehow, I can give you an example mm. of, let's say, you're in the process of maybe changing the status of your immigration status, mm-hmm. for example. You know, that, that it's a fine line there. It could quickly go wrong mm-hmm. <laughs> and it could be all right. And I recall, you know, moments where I'm thinking, right, I am sending my papers to the home office right now. This could be a game changer for me. And I've got everything that, you know, it's expected of me to submit and every, but then, you know, you, you know, you're, you're on the edge of change because, you know, it's, it's not, the decision is not up to you. And for me, every time before I sent that package, uh, you know, it's all written, the postage is paid for and everything. I'd always take that package of documents to the altar. Wow. I'd go to church and ask the minister to just lay their hands and just pray for me Mm. and pray for this because it was almost like a not life or death situation, but it affected my ability to stay and continue to study in this country. Mm. So, and once to me, it was from an act of faith, like, Lord, I'm bringing this to you. And because I know ultimately you are in control Mm. (laughs) of my destiny and my future and whatever decision is going to be made on this. So it's, that's just a a random example of how as an immigrant, an example of in some ways in which, you know, I learned to in every, I mean, if if you're not to think, well, you know, surely when you've got all your documentation correct and everything that should just be, you shouldn't even worry about it, Mm, but no, it's a different kind of, Mm. you know, mindset. And cause you know, you, you've got family, you've got friends whom you've seen, their lives change (laughs) by just a decision made by someone that's working at immigration and it just totally changes their lives. So it's just that, um, to me, you know, that is what just by faith, trusting that God is in control. I don't know what the result is going to be. Yeah. Yeah. on this but I just have to trust that the Lord is going to grant me favor yeah. <laughs> the Lord will make a way for me because he knows my future for people listening outside of maybe uh, that faith setting or people who are maybe in a, a season where they're struggling with that idea of 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 God being in control because things aren't mm-hmm. going their way how mm-hmm. do how do we move or how do you face those changes when perhaps it hasn't gone the way that you'd hoped, prayed, <laughs> dreamed, imagined, wanted, selfishly desired, whatever it is, right? Oh, man. The whole gambit. How, how, does, how do you face change in those moments? I have been in that situation, Matt, where I was believing God for some funding for my PhD studies. Mm. 
at some point I had been excluded from university because some had happened and I couldn't quite raise the funds that were needed. That exclusion meant that I could not use the library. I could not be supervised. I could not, you know, the, you know, and I was stuck <laughs> for a moment. And I was really upset because I, I thought the money was going to come through. And then the, um, that was the, when the economic collapse happened mm. and yeah, we went through the, and then, yeah, where my money was meant to come from, then there was a, it didn't happen. Mm. And I, you know, I was praying for that to happen and it did not happen. And I really was in a place where I felt God had abandoned me. God had not heard my prayer and God had just left me out in the open to do it on my own. And I'm not going to lie, Matt, I was really upset. I was really angry at God. And I, I, I just had a sense of rebellion in my heart. <laughs> It was embarrassingly so where I'm just like, God, you don't care. Like, you know, in that moment, you're like, you forget every other miracle and every other way God has come through mm -hmm. for you. And you just think, nah, you, you know how important it is for me to finish my studies mm -hmm. and how dare you like withhold funds from me. Like I've, I've been faithful. I've been tithing the little money that I earn. I've been doing all these things. And then this happens. And then what am I meant to do? I don't have parents that can pay for me. I don't have anybody mm -hmm. to lean on, to give me the kind of money that I need to carry on my studies. And that was a really, really difficult time. And to be honest, other friends who were Christians that knew the pain I was dealing with, the rebellion that I was facing in my heart, um, helped me through that time to encourage me and to speak to me, speak life and hope into my head. Because in my head, I was just like, I'm done, you know, God, you know, so, and I guess it's, it's those moments, Matt, having gone through that, um, it has helped me to have a different kind of mindset to be a Christian that is empathetic, a Christian that is sympathetic, mm. because I know what it is to be on both sides mm. of the spectrum where, you know, I'm having my answers met or I feel like a door is shut. Mm -hmm. The Lord opened, you know, a door in a supernatural way down the line that I thought, oh, man, I am so sorry, God, I was so dumb. Like I didn't... <laughs> Yeah. I, I, in my head, my, my head was in the space and I didn't see that you were working something, a better deal for mm -hmm. me through this. So yeah, I eventually finished my studies and God just provided in his own supernatural miraculous way. But through that change and some, some pain in that, mm -hmm. um, you know, I kind of lost it a little bit. Well, <laughs> This, it's interesting because the second question is how do we move through suffering and I think yeah. what you're talking about there we're, we're we're sort of in there aren't we it's sort of we've bridged yeah, into yeah. there really helpfully and that's great I, I love that it means I have less things to say which is perfect but <laughs> I guess the thing I want to kind of draw out across that because you, you've talked a few times about the kind of the immigrant experience of having to apply and mm. and the the yes or no the kind of quite binary mm -hmm. outcome of that mm -hmm. and 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 how that can then leave you. In many ways, I guess the whole process brings a kind of suffering because it, it's an insecurity <laughs> of, yeah. can I be here? Do I belong mm -hmm. here? To mm -hmm. do, does this place want me to be here? And it's and actually, when mm. you really start to think about it, for those of us who have never gone through that process or experience, it must, it must be incredibly weighty to have to carry <sighs> that sense of it's coming up. Here it is. I've sent it. Now I wait here's the here's the letter here's the email whatever thinking of that how how do you even begin to move through that knowing that the end of it could be just like you say game changer heartbreak how do you even begin to move through that process you know not to over spiritualize things but it's by the grace of god matt that is all i can attribute it to i sometimes think you know what if i wasn't a person of faith I don't know what I would, I'd, some of this stuff would send me to drink. Like I would, you know, like if I wasn't surrounded by strong people mm. who have faith, strong, you know, family, Christian family around me, strong friends that would check up on me and check in. I, 
you can't do it in your own strength. It, it's just through God's provision and grace um, is what I can attribute it to as a person who is a Christian and a person of faith. I, you know, my hope and trust and my everything, I lean on God on almost everything. You know, I, it's not about how, you know, my might, you know, being tenacious and being, you know, uh, driven. Yes, I do have those elements, but ultimately my foundation is constantly leaning on that solid rock on knowing, you know, God, you have my future, you know, my future. I'm just constantly going in that direction because it can mess with your mental health. Um, it can be very lonely, can be a very lonely place. Mm. Um, and sometimes because people don't understand, <laughs> sometimes mm. you're around a place where people just don't understand. Mm. So that can be very, very, uh, very mm. lonely. And I mean, you, you've mentioned about, you know, how we move through suffering, this question of how we move through suffering. When I saw that question, the first uh, uh, phrase that came to me, and it's from the Eastern part of Zambia where my mother is from, there's a saying which says, uh, I'm gonna say it in my mother's, mm. <laughs> what that means is like is don't laugh at um someone else's misfortune because you could be next wow <laughs> and so this proverb or whatever you want to call it or idiom i don't know you know it teaches empathy and sympathy and you know and you know being able to be in a place where you help others in any way that you can, because, you know, uh, life does not spare anyone pain or suffering as much as we try, <laughs> you know, you know, people will die, people will be sick and people will experience rejection and discouragement and, you know, depression, that is life, you know, and um, in my case, as, as I said earlier, you know, death, my goodness, I have experienced death so many times mm. in my family, you know, death of both my parents, mm. my close aunts and uncles, um, you know, miscarriage. And, mm. um, you know, I, I recall the first time I experienced uh, suffering because of death was, I must have been like, was I 10 or nine? Well, I can't remember. I was in Zambia and my sister lost her daughter, who I think there was a five-year gap between us. And I oh, that is my first recollection of pain. Mm. And I didn't understand it. Mm. I didn't, all I recall was just crying, yeah. you know, that hardcore crying, which yeah. I'd never experienced yeah. in my life because that was my friend. Yeah. I mean, there was only like a five-year gap yeah. between us. And yeah oh, this is happening. And it's just, um, death has a way of changing you, you know, and sometimes you live with the weight of it every day, but somehow by the grace of God, you just, you know, live day to day, you know, you, you go through it and just have to live life and life has to carry on, but it, it sometimes lives with you. I've, I'm so glad that I come from a culture where when one loses someone, you mourn together, mm. you wail together yeah. and, um, you support each other, you yeah. come together, you, you know, people will come to your house at night and sing through the night. And there's a steady trickle of people to come to comfort you. Funerals are not a private affair yeah, yeah, <laughs> in yeah. Zambia. Yeah. They're not invites to a funeral, you know, and um, it, it is, I find that very, very helpful to belong to a culture that when you're in pain, when you experience suffering, you come together and support each other, especially where death is concerned. Yeah. And uh, and I think one thing that also is reassuring is that, you know, um, God is present in our suffering. I know that might sound cliche, but, you know, even the word of the Lord says, you know, that he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds and he's near to those that are brokenhearted and delivers, you know, those that are crushed in spirit. And so, and so when we suffer, we, you know, we, the Bible says we share in the sufferings of Christ. Yeah. And I suppose just that knowledge in itself as well helps us, you know, move through um, suffering. And I, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you know, I've 
having gone through different types of suffering, you know, being away from my family and, you know, feeling lonely, experiencing rejection for whatever reason, experiencing the pain of me, experiencing racism, overt or covert, or experiencing racism, looking at others that look like me, experience that, you know, having gone through depression, discouragement, and sometimes feeling bewildered and just having a heavy soul, you know, those are some deep things of, of life, you know, which, you know, th that's just life. But I just feel sad that sometimes as Christians, we try to minimize the fact that people go through suffering. Yeah. And there's this always this notion that we always have to be happy and we shouldn't acknowledge our pain or grief or because that's not very Christian. That, is, that just means your faith is weak. Mm. I have a different mindset. Mm. You know, I think the more I embrace and accept the fact that, you know what, I'm in pain, I am mm. suffering. I'm more genuine in the way I relate to God and the yeah. way I communicate yeah. to God um, through that grief. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm happy to cry because I'm a crier and that really empties yeah, my soul yeah, yeah. of whatever pain. Yeah. So crying just crying that crying out yeah. from the depths of my soul helps yeah. me navigate uh suffering and just knowing that no matter what god is with me that is that really really helps yeah. i know it i'm i'll say again it might sound cliche but um you know praying for me as I said, it, I become more authentic in my yeah. prayer because I'm constantly bringing that pain yeah. before God. Yeah. If it means hour by hour when it hurts so bad, I'm yeah. back at his yeah. feet. And, you know, if I'm not talking to God, God has also blessed me with friends yeah. who I can open up yeah. to as I navigate through this suffering. Yeah. And just having those mature people that will listen. And it's not many. It could be one mm -hmm. or two will listen not judge or dismiss mm. my pain yeah. and grief and thinking oh no you you're just you're you're, you're being a weak christian yeah. no um you know it, it really helps because they will listen they will yeah. empathize or sympathize yeah. speak life into me yeah. encourage or pray for me or just say nothing <laughs> I, i'm i'm really i'm really struck by the fine line between the moment you talk about when your funding doesn't come through and your response is to be furious and angry and livid but to almost kind <laughs> of turn away from god and actually that's a very fine line with what is now your healthy approach which is still to be furious or upset or angry or livid yeah. but to turn to god like I, I think sometimes we see those things as really far apart but actually that is such a wafer thin line between the response because actually the acknowledgement in a way that almost god that almost in a way like if you're angry or you're furious or you're disappointed or it hasn't gone your way the only option is to to kind of hide that from god and be angry over yeah. there is <laughs> so different to the mindset you articulated so beautifully now which is i just take it to God and whether that's me and God in prayer or whether that's my God-given community the people around mm. me who live out what it is to be a disciple like that is such a fine line but such a huge difference right it's like, oh absolutely I just think that's <laughs> I think that's so helpful and and also I want to thank you for being so honest about living both those experiences because again I think sometimes there can be a sense of oh we don't talk about the time when we you know we kind of just as I as I wrote recently yeah. a blog about my son told God to do one we don't talk about those times like we said <laughs> But actually, actually, when we realize that actually part of the relationship is that we do get to do that, that God's shoulders mm. are big enough and broad enough for us to tell him to do one. Like, I think that's so important for people. Like, I think that's so profoundly important for people to understand that in our deepest suffering, in, in death, in loss, in miscarriage, in things not turning out the way and the result going in a different direction, we turn to him with all of those emotions because he's, he's big enough for all of them, right? Yeah, because the, the test of our faith usually is when we experience pain and mm -hmm. suffering. Mm -hmm. You know, when everything's going all right, it's easy for me to be yeah. happy, to yeah. be grateful to yeah. God. And, yeah. you know, but it's when life happens yeah. and you experience that grief and yeah. the pain that can be isolating, yeah. that, you know, that nobody understands. Yeah. You know, that is where the test of your faith is. So it's, 
but you know what's really you know it's re- it's just struck me and it's because of something you said earlier about how the expectation is that we're happy and if you're not and if and in a way when people say that thing sometimes you really discover your faith when you're suffering like somehow when you're suffering you're meant to still be happy and joyous i think the truth is you really discover the core of your faith when you're suffering when you understand that your faith and your god is big enough to take your suffering to sit oh, with you when you're suffering right that is like so yeah 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 like because when people talk about <laughs> that test thing what they often mean is you know if you're not playing a tambourine or singing a happy song or jigging up and down your faith is weak but it's not that it's that wafer thin mm-hmm. line that you've experienced and, and shared with us of take it like bring it to god like that's yeah. the test the test of your faith is do you understand that god is big enough and bold enough and loving mm-hmm. enough to receive you in all of it like Absolutely. I mean, look at the story of, is it, is it Mary and Martha? Jericho and their brother died. And is it Mary that went up to God, Jesus and was like, mate, where were you at? Right. If you'd have been here, it wouldn't have ended up like this. Right. Like, really? Are you just going to show up now? And like, you should have been here, you know, that genuine, just being genuine, I think has really helped me. (laughs) Oh man, that is, that's super helpful. Yeah. The next yeah. choice is about our playlist. So you've already talked about music being okay. important. We brought Fred Hammond with us. So uh, yes. music clearly plays a big part in your life now. <laughs> so what's going on our playlist for this walk? Now, Matt, I have an eclectic, you know, mix mm. because of the type of person I am. The very, first of all, I think it gave you an idea, the type of people I'm bringing along yep. and the fact that I've gone against all your rules, yes. you know, and then the the mix of music is going to be eclectic. Okay, here we go. Please, I hope it I'm, doesn't I'm shock in. I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay. So um, I love music, all kinds of music. So definitely Fred Hammond's my yep. man. We've got to have him on his on the playlist. Yeah. I love a bit of classical music. Okay. It saw me through my PhD suffering. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah I get that. Uh, I love a bit of that. And when I'm trying to focus on work, you know, as a mm-hmm. researcher, you're constantly reading and writing and that, you know, but then, yeah, I'll just bring that in. Not too much. Okay. You know, I don't want to put anybody to sleep. Um, I'm going to bring in a bit of Beyonce. Okay? okay. I love to dance. I, yeah, I love to have a good time. Yeah. I love Bruno Mars, oh. you know, we'll bring in a bit of Bruno Mars. Possibly there. the best gig I've ever been to. <laughs> Bruno Mars at the O2 in 2013. Oh, man. Just, just so good. I would good. love to see him live. Oh. Yeah. So that'll be on my bucket list to go to Definitely Bruno Mars You've got to see Bruno Mars live once in your life. You've got to do it. Really? Okay. All right. And being African, Southern African, I love Congolese dance music. Okay. Um, yeah, it's just from from the intro to the end, you cannot sit down through that music. So yeah, I'd love that. I love me some Maverick City music. Yeah, yeah. I love me some Take That Greatest Hits. Yes, also, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to lie. Also one of the best gigs you'll ever go to. I did about four of those. My wife took, my really? wife, and this is absolutely true. My wife dragged me to the first one. I wasn't interested in the first one. It was that kind of first or right. second comeback tour. And then for the next three or four tours, like Circus and all of those, I, I was like, I was on Ticketmaster at 9am getting those tickets. See, I fell in love with Take That when I was doing some part-time work working for M&S. And at some point there were sponsors. I don't know if oh, M&S yeah, yeah, was sponsoring yeah. them. But that's all you heard, yeah. you know, so I really fell in love with them. Oh, so good. And then in addition to take that, some, I don't know how old you are, Matt, you eight, late 30s, early, mid 30s, early 30s. I don't know. I'll tell you what, no, let's do that again. You you say, I don't know what age you are, 25, 26, and then that'll be a nice compliment <laughs> for me. I mean, the, the, the clue is always to go younger. And if you were doing that, you clearly <laughs> think I look like I'm mid to late 40s. So it's getting worse <laughs> all the way through this. I mean, No, you said something that at some point about late 30s. I, I am so late I 30s. Re- yeah, all right. I'll give you that. Okay. We'll leave it at late 30s. We're not going to, yeah. you know, yeah. mention. I'm, 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 20, I'm 26 plus a decade or, or you know, it's, it's going there. Stay there. Well, Hill songs, but not current Hill songs. Okay. The very first ones. Back those to Darlene. Ones, We're going back to Darlene Jack and the rest of the group, da- right? Yes. Yeah. In the Darlene era. Yes. That, those, those took me to the cross all the time. And, and then lastly, um, there's my mother's tribe again from the East. Mm. Uh, the, we have these Ngoni traditional songs where you dance, there's, you know, drums playing and you, you wear animal skin wow. clothing. That's yeah. part of our, you know, yeah. uh, our, our cultural, uh, outfits. Wow. And then when you're dancing, you're holding these sticks 
And oh my God, the music just moves you. So I cannot wait to teach my daughter to to dance these Ngoni traditional dances and to these songs. So as I said, it's an eclectic mix of everything. So I'm going to tell you, a lot of people come on this show and a lot of people in life, if you say, what's your music? They'll go, I'm very eclectic. And then they name things and you go, oh, you're not as eclectic as you think you are. No. However, no, you are are absolutely as eclectic as you think you are, because that is quite the lineup that you have given us there. I mean, I've got Darlene Jack, I've got Fred Hammond, I've got Take That, I've got Congolese Dance, I've got, I mean, I've got the whole gambit. Yeah, Bruno, I mean, yeah, I mean, absolutely front and center. I mean, it's like, I mean, I've got the whole gambit there. I'm very, very happy. Clearly music is a place where question three is going to come because the question is, how do we receive joy? You know, that, that question itself, you know, I was smiling when I saw that because I, many things make me happy, Mm. Matt. I am a person that seeks out joy (laughs) Mm. Um, in not so much specific things, but I, I naturally seek out things that make me laugh, that makes me, things that make me joyous. And they, they, it's, it doesn't take much mm. to make me feel happy and mm. joyous. And I think to begin with, one thing that I, I love, that I do, you know, I just delight in is being in the house of the Lord. Mm. And um, that brings me joy mm. in its own sense, in its own way, because I just, yeah, it just takes me to a different level. But then currently, you know, watching my daughter, my toddler, you know, grow, it brings me joy. Mm. And, you know, watching her quacking and barking and meowing, mm. she thinks she thinks she's an animal. And she just, that just brings mm. me so mm. much joy. And um, I said this earlier, being in Zambia and touching down with the plane, I mean, even after living in Zambia, living out of Zambia more than I have lived there, more years than I've lived there, you know, as I said, it still remains home. Mm. Um, you know, and I, I am so grateful to God that I have numerous opportunities mm. to visit my home country and reconnect, mm. you know, with my roots and my people. And so that, you know, gives me a lot of joy and which means I get to be with family. Mm. I get to be with people that, you know, my blood (laughs) really, I get to have, I'm a foodie. So it means I get to eat as much as I want. Um, you know, and, um, things like music, things like dancing, things like having a good conversation, being around people Mm. gives me so much joy. So I'm so glad that I'm, I'm so multifaceted as a person, because it doesn't mean that the absence of something means that I cannot receive joy in other ways. Yeah. Well, you see, that's, that's what I wanted to ask (laughs) you, because I guess when you, when you move from Zambia and then you move to North America in your teens, and then yeah. you moved to, to London. I moved to London, say, yeah. for a year. And then I, moved, I lived in Birmingham for Birmingham. about 10 years. So, so, you, so you, in all those places, I guess, in a way, what was the kind of the through line of joy? Because I guess when you leave Zambia, you can absolutely f- find that joy when you go back. Yeah. But when you're not there, that, so what, is the, what was the through line of what is the thing that you would say is your kind of almost what was the kind of the joy that carried you through it? Like, where, where is that? What, where did you find that? Matt, I've got a great sense of adventure. Uh, <laughs> I, I like to explore. I like to pursue things. I'm very curious as a yeah. person. And it's, you know, it's, it's that that would enable me to pursue, you know, uh, where joy is at you know, where, 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 what can I find here? What is it that I can adapt or do or associate myself with? Or what can I pursue, which enable me to find joy? I asked the question, where do you find joy in the journey? And of course, your answer is the journey is the joy, which just makes total (laughs) sense, right? It's like, I'm asking, my question is so the wrong question. And I'm like, I love it when I do that. And I always leave these bits in because it's like, that was, I just asked you the wrong question. The question, of course, of course, the journey is the joy. Like, it's like, I'm going, yeah, but where do you find the joy in that journey? And you're like, "Uh, the journey. Uh, So it's like, I totally, I get it. Like, as soon as you say it, I'm like, oh yeah, what a, stupid question you just asked but it's like I get <laughs> no, it but I and, and I see it it's like that thing right of course it's like yeah if you're adventurous then leaving home to go somewhere new it is yeah. is that is where you find it you find it where you look for it and the other thing you love that you said I just 
man, I, I, I'm going to get it written on my wall is like, you were like, I <laughs> seek out joy. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, I don't, I don't sit waiting to receive it. I seek out joy. Yeah. Man, what a, what a simple shift of posture that could change so many of our days, right? You know, another thing I would say, just uh, in addition to that, in as you said, life itself is a journey. You know, in the past few years, I've been on a journey of, you know, self-discovery and mm. trying to, you know, self-love. You know, having been born and raised in a country that was colonized mm. and, you know, despite us being independent since mm. 1964, you know, there are still remain remnants of some realities that marks that colonial yeah. era. I'm not going to get into that, but, you know, I've spent most of my life in the West and, you know, where my early adulthood experiences and education, you know, have been formed mm. and uh, my identity uh, formation and appreciation of who I am and my heritage was sometimes skewed and conflicted. So it's not always been good. Um, so, but having, you know, lived in these various places uh, and in the West for so long, I realized that I carry this complex social identity, yeah. <laughs> which at some point I will confess, I saw as negative, mm. you know, I thought, man, why can I just not be British, just British, yeah. or why can I not just be Canadian, or why yeah. can, you know, what, you know, because you're, you know, as an immigrant, you, there's that just certain perceptions yeah. that people have of you sometimes, yeah. which are not, you know, always positive. Yeah. But, you know, the fact that I'm a Black African woman who happens to be a Christian and lived in the West most of her life, mm. six, six, six languages, mm. you know, is now something of this journey that I am so proud of yeah. and it brings me joy, yeah. you know, because this oh. multi-layered yeah. <laughs> dimension yeah. of my identity and self-worth has really enriched my life. And it makes yeah. me now, it makes me who I am. Yes. So this being on this journey of self-discovery of who I am, my sense of self, yeah. you know, the beauty of my heritage yeah. and my culture, which I cannot wait to share with yeah. my daughter. And I've already started, you know, is something worth celebrating, Matt. And it brings me joy because I'm no longer shackled by wanting to be accepted by the Western culture and having feelings as though my heritage is inferior in comparison to others and living under these stereotypes, you know, yeah. that would be attributed to people that look like me and some of the images of beauty that would be portrayed, you know, mm -hmm. in media, I, you know, it, it's so good to be freed from those shackles. And now, you know, I carry myself as a proud black African Zambian woman who loves her culture, who yeah. loves the fact that, you know, I have this complex social yeah. identity, whatever yeah. it is. And yeah, and it brings me so much joy that yes, I, I feel it's a journey, you know, it doesn't happen in one yeah. day, but yeah. I, you know, I, I love the fact that I am who I am. And I think I'm, a, I'm better for it. I'm a better person for it. Cause wherever I am, I can just bring my authentic self and not my fake self. <laughs> I mean, that's <laughs> the whole that podcast. Makes any sense. Does that make sense? That's the whole podcast. That's the whole podcast. <laughs> How do you receive joy? Two things from there. You seek it out. And also yeah. you learn to love every part of who you are, even the Absolutely. bits that other people either overtly or covertly or historically or currently yeah. are trying to dampen down and dull down and hide somewhere else. Those bits that they tell you you shouldn't be proud of or they make yeah. you feel like aren't worth being proud of. You live in those and you find joy because you've sought it out. It's liberating, it Matt. It's liberating. Uh, it's, liber <laughs> it's liberating. Can you see how exciting? I mean, it's liberating me sitting here right now. It's like, yes, that just changes. That changes lives, that stuff, right? That changes lives. Right, here we go. We've got one more choice and one yeah. more question. So the final choice, you said you were a foodie. What's in our snack yeah. bag? Right. You will be pleased or not pleased to know that I don't, I'm not a snacker at all. I, I don't No, I'm not into chocolate. I'm okay. not into, I will eat them because they're there, but <laughs> I'm a person that, <laughs> yeah, I, you won't see on my grocery list, you know, chocolate okay. or crisps or things. Okay. No, I, cause I, I love real food. Yes. And, and yeah, so I'm sorry, this will be another random mix of food. Like if you're around me, you want to eat well, you want to eat correct. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm good for it. So because of my heritage and my exposure yeah. to different cultures as I've lived across the globe. So this is what is going to be in my snack okay. bag. I'm going to call it a food bag. Okay. Oh, yeah. So me. in Zambia, our staple food is, we call it nshima. 
Okay. Nishima is a thick porridge um, and you eat it with everything. Okay. Um, you eat it with a stew or whatever. It's a thick porridge made of um, <clears throat> uh, cornmeal. So oh, okay. you, you, you yep. make it like a porridge and then you keep adding, adding more uh, cornmeal until you thicken it and then you eat it. It's like you eating rice with a stew mm, or whatever, mm. but we eat, yeah. So we'd have some sadza in there nice. because of my lots of Nigerian and Ghanaian friends would have some jollof rice yeah. in there. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It seems like you've had some oh, of that. Yes. And then, <laughs> and then West Africans have this habit of, you know, there's this, what they, a stew, which is a sorted mix. Meat, it's lots of meats cooked together and it's a I'm sort in. of stew. I think I'm it's in. yummy. I've got, having lived in Birmingham for over 10 years, you know, I had lots of Jamaican friends. So yes, let's get some jerk chicken yes. in there. And I had lots of, you know, um, because of where I lived and the schools I taught at, they were mostly uh, Muslim schools. So I had lots of uh, friends who are either Pakistani or from Bangladesh. So a good curry from Birmingham, yes. like nothing beats a good curry from Birmingham. Absolutely. And so for a pudding, yeah. <clears throat> You know, you know, uh, to pay homage to this country that I live in, yeah. the great country I live in, we'll have some rice pudding and oh. some apple crumble there with, nice. you know, whoever want. If you want uh, a, um, some uh, cream or custard, you can have some some of that. And um, for a cold drink, yeah. now this one we're gonna have a Zambian or it's a Southern African drink. Actually, it's called Maheo. It's a Southern African non-alcoholic home brew drink it's yeah. made of you know thin lightly fermented maize meal okay. uh, porridge and often you know they'll add wheat flour and then you add some sugar and when it's cold it's deadly that's a nice cold drink to see you through you know a hot summer's day you know in in that in that in that african forest so yeah i, I think i've covered Everything, you know, every everything. major food group. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Everybody would, no one's starving on that journey. No. I can tell you that much. <laughs> I am. Um, do you know, sometimes I just don't need to say anything at the end of the food bit. I just go, yes, let's have all of that. And I'm happy with it. I put selection. a lot of thought into this. You man. really did. I literally have nothing else to say because normally someone puts something in and I'm like, no, nah, I don't want that. But I'm in. I'm just in. So there's no, we just move on to the next question. Okay, so here we go. Question four, it's the last one. How do you mature yeah. in service? You know, honesty, I believe you mature in service. I don't know what service that was in particular. Was that in the service, like serving God and his people or, okay. So this is where I'm coming from. In order for us to mature in service, we mature in service by being in the presence of God. And I will explain this to you. I say that because there's a story as uh, the REACH conference that I was at recently, I was preaching the story of Mary and Martha. Mm. And uh, the reason why I say that we're mature in service by being in the presence of God is because if we look at the story of Mary and Martha, Mary was sat there at the feet of Jesus. That was culturally revolutionary. Mm. And, you know, that, you know, just Jesus himself who was countercultural for him to allow a female to sit at his mm. feet with a posture of a disciple, uh, which was just totally like against all cultural values at that time in a mm. society, which had a dim view of women. That was just crazy in mm. itself. You know, so Jesus allows Mary to sit at his feet. I'm sure she's sitting at his feet and Jesus is just dropping gems. Mm. Sorry to use a bit of slang. Um, but what better place, you know, to be than be at the feet yeah. of Jesus, where he's giving you direction, where he's telling you what to do yeah. and guiding you and ordering your steps. Mary in that moment realized that the liberator is in the house <laughs> mm. and I do not have to be strapped down by cultural limitations yeah. and taboos. I can sit here and learn from Jesus, who is my liberator. Forget yeah. the kitchen. Yeah. Culture wants me to be in that kitchen, but the liberator is here. The mm -hmm. one that liberates me from the shackles of culture. Martha, on the other hand, 
Martha knew she had the liberator in the house, mm. but in some ways her mind was still constrained by the regulations and expectations of her culture. So yes, she invited the liberator in the house. However, she was still hanging on to culture expectations of that time. And hence she was upset that her sister, how dare she just sit there and not help her out. What the story taught me as I was studying was that it is not wrong to engage in acts of service mm. for God. Mm. That is required of us, mm. okay? There has to be that balance. However, it's, it's the order in which we do things. We cannot um, be so focused in activities, even if they're in the name of the Lord, at the expense of being at the feet of Jesus, because daily activities, Matt, will wear you down. People are ungrateful. You could be doing stuff for them. They don't appreciate sometimes the fuss you put in your heart and soul, mm -hmm. you know? And so if you're wrapped up in that, in your acts of service, without privileging being in the presence of God, mm -hmm. it can be so discouraging. It can really put you down and get you upset and, and really be discouraging. So how do we mature in service is by, you know, getting the order right. Presence, being present with the Lord. And secondly, doing those acts of service because it is at the feet of Jesus, Matt, that we are re-energized, re <laughs> we are revitalized <laughs> and we are encouraged so that it gives us fuel to get back to those places of service where it can be tough. Some people are serving in really, really tough situations, yeah. but we have to be connected to the presence of God in order to receive that strength, that encouragement, that fuel that will energize us for the journey. And then in addition to that, obviously we need exposure, we need a heart, servant heart, and we need to, persistence helps to mature, helps us to do, to, uh, to mature in service. And also just having the attitude of I'm doing this unto the Lord. But again, it takes me right back to where I was saying, you know, you can get the exposure, you can, you know, be, try to be a servant and persist and do things as, unto the Lord. But if you do all these things in your strength, Matt, you will, get weary and tired but where do we get the fuel it's by being in the presence of god so i i don't know if i can say anything more than that oh, well two things i mean one i wish i'd been at the reach conference because it sounds like that was. hey listen it, it didn't sound as good that was as dropping this. some gems on that conference i wish i'd been at that one anyone who's listening was at that i'm sure is saying yes it was i'm also i'm also channeling my my amazing friend yaz who uh, anytime she listens to anyone preach or anything, just cannot be quiet. She just, she will be like, that's good. Yes. More like she is. And I'm, I'm imagining her listening to you saying that. And I've just got Yaz ringing in my ears, like just amening all over that. I mean, I'm like that. I'm, I'm one that's when someone's preaching, I'm like trying to stand and praise right. the Lord. And raise I mean, I'm just, I'm just, uh, the idea that, that both sisters invited the liberator in, but only one of them was able to be liberated is going to be rattling around my head for the next week or two as I try to get my head around just like if you know the liberators in your house be liberated yeah but you've invited the liberator in and you still can't be liberated and how many of us are I know, living right? that truth right now right it's like like you talked about like yeah I'm doing the thing I'm there but how many of us can point to moments in our lives when we got burned out we got worn mm. out we got we got mm. resistant but we also became just really resentful of like absolutely people, right because actually we weren't actually doing things in the right order which is <laughs> presence and feet of jesus first service flows from that and you mature whoa that is that, like i say that's going to be rattling for a little while by the time this podcast goes out i might have actually had a chance to think about this but it'll be too late to say anything interesting so i'm not even going to try i'm just going to let Matt, that, you're I'm an encourager that, god bless your heart i'm going to let that i'm going to let that rattle around for people because i think that's what needs to happen that truth needs to sit and sink deep for a lot of us i think in terms of what that that fascinating and brilliant take on that story does for us because i think if we really start to sit with that that story is going to speak to us in ways it never has before perhaps wow mm. uh i mean that's it for this episode what a way to finish <laughs> i mean i mean what a way to start what a way to finish the middle was great too uh but what a way to finish this episode uh no thank you so much i mean you're incredibly busy both 
in work and also in what's going on in your life right now. And I don't take for granted you being able to carve out this bit of time for us here on the Altering Podcast. It was just remarkable. And uh, there's so much in there. And I just want to say a huge thank you for being on the podcast. No, thank you for inviting me. It's a, a real pleasure and an honor to be on it. So thank you so much, Matt. Well, I told you it was going to be a good one. And a huge thanks again to Nar for joining us here on the All Terrain Podcast. What an incredible episode. Uh, thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for sharing your wisdom for everything you just brought. Just utterly, utterly brilliant. I will definitely be listening to that one again and again. That's it for this episode. But don't forget to share the podcast across your social media channels. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, we'd love it if you could give the show a rating or write us a review. All those things help us get the show heard by even more people. And you can also now access our brilliant sketch notes and small group questions that accompany each episode. Just search for the All Terrain Podcast or click the link in the episode description. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back next time with another guest who'll be facing the four choices, answering the four questions and sharing their wisdom learned along the way on the All Terrain Podcast.